Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to. Please get a hold of us at lafayettenaz.org. Have a great day. Series called Hills We Will Die On, or The Hills We Will Die On. And we've been talking for the last two weeks about non-negotiables, core convictions that animate our desire to follow and to become more and more like Jesus. And we've been doing some in-house sort of a work here, and we've talked and reminded ourselves that as a community, as a group of people who have chosen to follow Jesus together, that we have and we share a common mission. And our mission is to transform ordinary people into passionate followers of Jesus. That, for us, is the most important thing, and it's not just our most important thing. That is our spin on the mission that Jesus gave to every single one of his disciples when he authorized them and he sent them and he said, go and make followers of every nation and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's why we exist and that's what we're here to do. But in order to do that, there's some things that we have to hold in common, some core convictions that must be in place. And this is our third week of talking about those. So the first week, two weeks ago, we, we said, listen, we won't, we won't negotiate about this. We firmly believe you, you and I, you were made for this. Literally, you were made for this very work. And then last week we talked about our core conviction and our fundamental reality is that what got you here to this stage in your life will not get you there. We have to be remade. We have to allow God to transform us. If you missed any of those, they're always on the podcast. You can find it whenever you want to listen to it. Today, though, I want to talk about the third hill. And the third hill is this. We will live like tomorrow is today. We will live like tomorrow is today. Revelation chapter 22, beginning with verse 12. This is God's word for us this morning. Look, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay all people as their actions deserve. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jump down with me if you would to verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to bear witness to all of you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come or come on. Let the one who hears say, come. And the one who is thirsty, 
mind. Let the one who wishes receive life-giving water as a gift. And now dropping down to verse 20. The last words of Scripture. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of Lord Jesus be with you all. The word of the Lord for us today. One of the best parts about my day, um, almost every day, is when I leave the office and I pull into the driveway, I open the garage door, and I open the door into our house, and sometimes even before I'm able to open the garage door, and sometimes, sometimes I'm greeted by one of our children who has something that they desperately need to show me or to tell me. And so they'll say to me, Dad, you've got to see this. Come on, come on, let me show you. You've got to see this. Our youngest son, Luke, right now, he's, he uh, um, is in love with playing with his neighborhood friends. He, he just loves it. Loves it to the point where he's figured out the time of the day when the bus stop is about to arrive home. And then off of the bus will, will emerge all of his playmates, particularly this young boy by the name of PJ. And so Luke will be standing in the driveway as PJ gets off of the bus. And Luke will yell, yell out to PJ while Luke is straddling his bike. PJ, ride bikes. Come on. Come on. That word, come, or that phrase, come on, it's proclamation. It's exclamation. It's lamentation. And Revelation teaches us that this is what the church says. That the people of God, that's what's on our lips. Come on, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, says the Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, says the saints. Come, Lord Jesus, says the church. These are the last words in all of Scripture. Come on, God, come on. And this is how the story of Scripture ends. And it ends with like a little bit of a, a cliffhanger. Come on, come on says the church. I don't get a ton of time to watch TV these days. Don't get a ton of time. But, you know, I know that the way that really popular series of television shows, the way they end, people get a lot of criticism for that. Some of you might have been around when the television show MASH ended. You could remember that final episode and how your desire was for how all of the loose ends to be tied up, but it might not have happened. And you might have remembered when Friends ended or Seinfeld ended or when Lost came to an end. Everybody hated how Lost came to an end. Or you might remember how The Office came to an end. There's always controversy about the way that a story Ends, and this is how the story of Scripture ends. These are the final words. It ends with, come on, come on. It's a cliffhanger. And if you've ever spent any time reading the book of Revelation, you know that there are a lot of ways that that thing could have ended. And there's a lot of images that could have made this really powerful ending. I mean, 
Revelation's crazy. There's dragons, and there's beasts, and there's like these incredible conflicts and wars that break out. All of these incredible things happening in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth. But that's not how the story ends. The story ends with the church and the Spirit saying, Come on. Come on, Jesus. Come on. And today, 2,000 years later, that's where we find ourselves too. We're hanging on to that word. We're still waiting to see what will happen next. And we join our cry with the cry of the saints saying, come on. Come on. This is a 2,000-year-old cliffhanger. And we're right in the middle of it. And when John the Revelator wrote these words in the book of Revelation that we just read, he wrote it as a letter. He was given this vision from the Lord. And the Lord opened up his mind to see all of these things. And he wrote down what he saw and what he heard. And he wrote it and he sent it to seven churches. Seven churches not much different than ours. Who were living in a world that was antithetical to the message of God. Who felt like they were the minority who were exiled and strangers in a strange land. And John saw this thing happening from God and wrote it all down and delivered it in a letter to these seven churches. And these seven churches face the same things we face. And our church is made up of real people. Division and temptation and apathy. Like uh, immorality. You name it, they were living through it. And none of these churches were perfect. Now, I hate to break it to you. I hope that I'm not bursting any bubbles or raining on any parades today. But there doesn't really exist anywhere in the world any church that's perfect. And the churches that John wrote these letters to, they weren't perfect either. They were struggling. They were all waiting for the Lord Jesus to completely remake them. All their people had parts that were broken. So he wrote this letter to these churches. He wrote it to the church in Ephesus, a city called Ephesus. And that church was patiently working hard, but they had lost their first love. They'd fallen out of love with God. He wrote it to a church in a town called Smyrna, and they had endured so much. But John said to these people who had already gone through a lot, yo, there's way worse that's about to come. He wrote to this church in Pergamum. And in Pergamum, they were holding fast in the face of crazy persecution, but there was false teaching amongst them. Wrote it to a church in Thyatira, and that church had false prophets and immoral behavior, and nobody was doing anything about the immoral behavior. He wrote it to a church in Sardis, and on the surface, that church seemed to be alive, but inside, it was dead. Wrote it to a church in Laodicea, a church that was lukewarm. And John, speaking for God, said, God doesn't like lukewarm stuff. He's going to spit you out of his mouth. So as a pastor, I read this book of Revelation and these words and this vision that was revealed to John by God. I read it and I think to myself, hey, man, come on. It makes me nervous. It makes me nervous. I mean, give us a break. Give us a break. What I want to say to John is, hey, no church is perfect. 
I mean, these are harsh words. We're all just trying to do our best. We're all human. Nobody's perfect. In fact, I think that phrase, we're all human, nobody's perfect, I think that's kind of become the mantra of the people of God these days. It's become the mantra of churches. Churches boast about how there's no perfect people that are allowed into the building. And I understand what churches mean when they say that sort of stuff. What we mean is that, hey, if you're not perfect, you're welcome here. I get all of that. And I mean, I think we say, I say, we all say to each other all of the time, hey, no one's perfect. No, don't worry about that. Don't worry. Nobody's perfect. But here is where I want us to be careful. Often, that line of thinking can make us believe something that's not true, which is this. To be human is to be broken. Always broken. Hopelessly broken. Hey, don't worry about it. Nobody's perfect. And that way of thinking that we're just stuck here in our brokenness, We'll always be like this. We're hopelessly like this. That way of thinking can even make its way into the church. And so we start to believe that our essential nature, our fundamental reality, is brokenness. Hopelessly. And we exist just to endure in the midst of all of that. Until one day... We transition from this life into the next. And in heaven, that's when it will all be made right. And we can even start to tell the story of God with an emphasis on that way of thinking. So we tell the story about God and and we act as if our story and God's story starts with ugly and ends with beauty or it starts with broken and ends with whole, or it starts with lost and ends with found. And hear me out, that for sure is part of the story. And we should recognize it and celebrate it, but that's just part of the story. That's not the whole. And I think about this vision that God gave to John, the revelator, and it was a vision for the saints 2,000 years ago who were struggling in their world to remain faithful. And was it a vision of, hey, listen, nobody's perfect. It's okay. Now, it wasn't a vision of that. The vision that God gave to John to give to his people wasn't a vision about humans existing in their brokenness. It was this vision of Jesus who sits on the throne as the lamb who had been slain. And he was at the center of all of creation. And all of creation had gathered around this slain lamb and was worshiping this one It's a vision of Jesus who, listen, was the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning of it all and the end of it all. The one who was and is and the one who is to come. The vision that God gave to John to write to these people who were struggling wasn't a vision of humans and their shortcomings 
It was a vision of Jesus. It all starts and it all ends with Jesus. Because in the beginning of our story and in the beginning of the story of the whole world, there was Jesus forming us and fashioning us and creating us to reflect the image of God into the world. And in the end of the story, there's Jesus forming and fashioning us and remaking us to reflect the vision of God to the world. And then in the middle, there's Jesus who's present with us. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. He was there. He is here. And he is coming. He is coming. Was, is, is to come. The vision that God gave to John to give to us is this vision of Jesus who's coming to us. I feel like a kid when I say stuff like this, but it is the honest truth. This is the honest truth. My favorite part of every day, and it's been like this for a long time. My favorite part of every day is lunch. Can I get an amen? I love lunch. Lunch every day is great. But lunch is especially great when I have the opportunity to share a meal with someone. And um, I love to share meals with people. I would love to share a meal with you, so let's make that happen. All right? I love lunch. This week, um, I was meeting two other guys from our church from lunch, and I had spent the morning completely immersed in the world of Scripture. And um, it was lunchtime. And um, as I was transitioning from Revelation and beasts and dragons and that world to lunch, I got a text message from one of the guys I was meeting. And and something happened where a light bulb turned on through a simple text message that helped me understand what God was up to in this passage of Scripture. And this was the text message. Nothing profound, but this is what it was. The text message was simply, hey, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Now, what did that text message mean? It just meant that person in that present moment was already on their way. They could have said, hey, I'm coming. I'm coming. In John's vision, God says to the church, I'm on my way. I'm coming. And that doesn't mean that God's absent or that God is on vacation and then someday he will come back. It doesn't mean that. It means now, already, God is on his way. He is coming. He's already moving towards his people. His people are waiting and God is coming to him. Not someday. Today. Today. Hey, I'm on my way. And so consider these words in Revelation 22 as like God's text message to you. Hey, I'm, I'm coming. 
I'm coming. And the expectation is, is that we would live as if that reality was today. When I got that text message from my friend, it didn't mean, hey, I'm coming. I'll see you tomorrow or maybe a thousand years from now. My expectation was he's on his way. He's on his way. One of the, one of the funnier stages of, of parenting a child is that stretch of every child's life where they just cannot understand time. Like, they don't get time. Time as a concept is kind of foreign to them. They know the words yesterday and today and tomorrow, but they don't understand the significance of what those words actually mean. Our, our, our youngest son, Luke, right now, he's been in that stage for a little bit, and he's about to grow out of it, and I'm going to miss it. But Luke, Luke most acutely lived through this stage for a long period of time. And so he would say stuff with reference to something that had happened, but he would get the time, the meaning of those time words, all, all jumbled out. And so as a parent, you had to act like detective to try to figure out what exactly the event was and how long ago. And you had to try to crack the code. So he'd say, say stuff like this. Like, in June, it would be June, okay? So we'd be in the month of June, and Luke would say, Remember how last night we got in the van and saw those Christmas lights? So there were so many of them last night. He said last night in reference to something that literally happened six months ago, right? Or... He would say in January, you know, he'd be in the month of January, and he couldn't, he couldn't pronounce the word maybe for the longest time. It was always weeby. Weeby? Weeby tomorrow, we can go to the pool. Yeah, weeby tomorrow. <laughs> Not understanding at all, like the significance of what that word tomorrow means. So for Luke and for most kids, they go through the same stretch. Yesterday, today, tomorrow there's a stage in a kid's life where that gets all jumbled up for them. Time just gets all mixed up and messed around. And I think that's exactly how it should be for the church. We've got to get our yesterday, our today, and tomorrow all jumbled up because we tell time differently. We tell time differently because Jesus was, he is, and he is to come. He's already on the way. And because he's already on the way, because he's coming, we, we live like his coming tomorrow is happening today. And so we say with the rest of the church throughout all of history, today is the day. So come, Lord Jesus, today. Today is the day that Jesus is on the way, and today is the day that God is making us who we were created to be today. Come, Lord Jesus, come on, come on. Now, I think, I think that if we took an anonymous poll here in the sanctuary this morning, I think that we would all agree about yesterday. We would agree about the was. We would say that we weren't always created to be broken. We weren't created to be imperfect. We were 
created by God perfectly in love. I think we would agree about the yesterday, about the was. And I think we would agree about the tomorrow. I think we would all agree that there will be a day when we are all made whole again. When the whole thing is completely remade. And there will be a day when there is no more suffering. And there will be a day when there is no more pain. And one day it all will be made right. I think we would all agree that someday there will be no more brokenness. I think we would agree about the yesterday. I think we would agree about the tomorrow. But I think we're really unclear about today. I think we're unclear about today. We're unsure about the is. We're clear about the was. We're clear about the is to come. But we don't know about the is. And here is what the book of Revelation profoundly and boldly has to say to us. Because Jesus is already on his way, we are invited to live like tomorrow, that day, is today. We are invited to live like today is the day of Jesus' arrival. Not one day, not someday, not whenever, Today, today we live as if that future that God has for his people is absolutely present. Today we live like it's tomorrow and maybe tomorrow we can go swimming. Yes, we can because tomorrow is today. Maybe one day I can forgive. Yeah, you can. Today. Because that day is here. Maybe someday I can be set free from lust. Someday I can be released from greed. Someday I can have that envy removed from my life. Yeah, but you don't have to wait until someday you can live like today is already here, like tomorrow has arrived. Eventually, we say, eventually, one day, I'll get rid of this bitterness. One day. One day I'll be free from anger. Tomorrow. God's tomorrow through Jesus, has become today. And the whole picture of Revelation paints this picture of this healed alternative, this healed world. And the whole book of Revelation is just pulsating with this world-changing news. That world that God has always had for his creation is available to us today. Today. Now listen, one of the things I appreciate about the world and that we live in is that we've started to become more honest about our brokenness. Like, we're more transparent about it. And, you know, it's not just that things are more broken today than they've ever been. I mean, read world history. Things have, they've always been pretty messed up. If you read what the Romans were up to, it wasn't pretty. I mean, the the thing's been broken for a while, but we always kind of tried to hide it at least in America for a while. We tried to hide it. Uh, But today, we're we're honest about it. It's almost kind of like we embrace it. We embrace it. It's like the anthem of our era is that our brokenness is what makes us beautiful. Almost kind of like we boast in it. And I understand that to a point. But we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay there. And that's not the song that the church sings. 
the church sings the song of, come on, Lord Jesus. Come on, today. And we wake up every morning with that song on our lips. Come on, come on, Jesus, come to us. And yeah, we lament the world that we live in and all of its broken ways, but as we lament, we say, come on, God. Come on, show yourself. Come to us. And as we pray that prayer, we live in the expectation that God is actually going to do it, that he's going to show up. And so we begin to live like tomorrow is a reality today. Let me say this to you another way. And for those of you who have been around for a minute, you've heard me use this illustration before, but I think it it helps our minds to get our mind around what this really means. So if you remember in your world history textbooks about those explorers who are on the western coast of Europe, and they got onto a ship, and they said, I'm going to go west. I'm going west, further than anybody's ever gone west before. And you remember how people said to them, you're crazy. You're going to get so far out there because they thought the world was flat. You're going to fall off the edge of the earth. Like you're just literally going to fall into the abyss. But those people got on a boat. And they said, that's not right. That's not the way that the world works. There's something over there. And we need to see what it is. And so they got on a boat and they went west when everybody else at the time thought they were crazy. Now, we look back on them in the story of history as we say this phrase of them. We say those people who chose to do that, they were ahead of their time. They were ahead of their time. And what do we mean by that? What we mean is that they knew something about the way that the world works that the rest of us did not know. They knew something that was true of the world that the rest of us had yet to experience. And in so many ways, I think that the call of the church is to be the people who live ahead of our time. And here's what I mean by that. We know how the story ends. We know how the world will one day be. We know that Jesus will come back and that all things will be remade and that darkness will be driven out of the land and we won't even need streetlights anymore because everything will be illuminated by the presence of God. We know that when God returns, justice will prevail and flow like mighty rivers. We know that what's broken will be fixed and remade and all creation will gather around the throne of our Lord, proclaiming together with one voice, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the whole earth will be full of his glory as the waters cover the seas. We know that's how life will be one day. But we are invited to live like that today, to be people ahead of our time, people who will die on this hill. Tomorrow is today. Tomorrow, one day, is today. And so we orient our life around the God who's coming to us in full expectation that it could be today. 
And the whole thing will be remade. And so we want to learn the steps of that dance before the band starts playing the music. We want our lives to be in line with the God who's coming to us. And so we tell the truth and we give generously and we recognize the reality of the poor and we serve them and we lift up the needs of all people and we refuse to judge on the basis of skin color and we stand up for God's goodness in this world. We line our lives with the fundamental reality that tomorrow is today and it's breaking in right now through the power of God's presence among us. And so the question for us as a church becomes, what is it in our life that doesn't line up? What is in us that one day won't be in us when God comes to visit? Because it's time for that stuff to be done. So that we can take on the new reality of God's world. Hill number three. We will be people who live like tomorrow is today. We're going to invite Ben and Patia to come back up. And we're going to prepare our hearts to come to the table this morning.